Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, The Spirit-Filled Life, in which we look at what the Bible says about the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the world and in our lives. Here is Pastor Nick. This morning we are continuing in a series that we started two Sundays ago. It's called The Spirit-Filled Life. This is a five-week series, and today is part three of five in this series in which we are looking at and studying about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We started out by talking about kind of a baseline and outline. Who is the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit work in the world and in our lives? Last week, we looked specifically at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, and today we're going to talk about what it means to walk in the Spirit. So would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a living God who wants to lead us and guide us. And Lord, we want to know you. We don't just want to know things about you, Lord. We want to know you. And we pray, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us by your spirit. Help us, Lord, that we would be conversing with you and responding in faith as you speak to us. And so, Lord, to that end, we ask that you would teach us today from your word. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was growing up, I was no stranger to the principal's office. I spent a lot of time in the principal's office. This is true. I was a frequent visitor, especially in the sixth grade. Uh, that year, I got sent to the principal's office a lot. And I still can remember, I can picture it in my mind exactly what that principal's office looked like because I spent a lot of time there. You know, so it's ingrained in my memory. I, I can describe it to you. It was a second-story office, and in this office, there was a big window that looked out over the entrance of the school, and yet in spite of that window, it always seemed so dark in there. It's probably, maybe it wasn't actually dark. It's just all my memories of it are that it was a dark place because they weren't really bright, happy memories that took place in that, in that office. It was full of dark wood and bookshelves, and in the middle of that office, that large office, was a big wooden desk. And sitting behind the desk was the principal. His name was Mr. Woodward. He was a thin, middle-aged man. He was bald on top, but he had this like ring of red hair around the sides. And I, I hated going to Mr. Woodward's office. And yet, somehow, I found myself there a lot. And that year that I was in sixth grade, I actually got expelled from school. And I remember sitting in the principal's office on the day when I got expelled, and I had to sit there and wait for my parents to get out of work and come to school and pick me up and take me home. And a few weeks later, I had to go back into that same principal's office and ask the school, ask the principal to have mercy on me, let me back into the school so that I could finish out the year. I hated going to the principal's office. But I wasn't the only kid in my school who went to the principal's office a lot. There was another kid in my class, for example, who also spent a lot of time in the principal's office. But the difference was, this other kid from my class, like, they actually liked going to the principal's office. Like, I'm, I'm not kidding. They would go there during recess. They would go there during lunch like a psycho. Like, who does that? Like, what kind of person goes to the principal's office, like, on purpose during recess for fun? Well, what kind of person does that? Well, the reason this other kid liked going to the principal's office is because the principal was her dad. See, that makes a difference, doesn't it? The relationship that she had with the principal was very different than the relationship that I had with the principal. I only knew him as a disciplinarian. 
but she knew him as her father. There was a bond of love and trust that existed between them that didn't exist between me and the principal. And therefore, the conversations that she had with the principal were very different than the conversations that I had with the principal because he was her dad. In our study last week, we saw that it is by the work of the Holy Spirit that we become children of God. But here's the question. Once you become a child of God through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, when you put your faith in Jesus, what's next? Right? Like, what do you do after that? What comes next? Is that all that being a Christian is? Right? Just ticking the box and giving a nod to God and saying, sure, I believe those things. Okay. And now I guess I just wait to die so I can go to heaven. Is that all the Christian life is? Well, here's what it says in Galatians chapter 5. It says this. If we now live by the Spirit, in other words, if the Spirit has now made us alive, let us also walk by the Spirit. If the Spirit has made you alive, what's next? Well, here's what's next. Let us also walk by the Spirit. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, walking in the Spirit. And to walk in the Spirit, here's what it means. It means that the purpose and the goal of Christianity is not just to know right things about God. It's beyond that. It's to actually live in a dynamic relationship with God. It isn't only just to give a nod to God and tick the box so you can get your get-out-of-jail-free card. No, no, no. The goal is to actually know God and live in dynamic relationship with Him in which He is leading you and guiding you through your days as you journey through life. The title of today's message is Walking in the Spirit. And here's what we're going to see in our passage today here in Romans chapter 8. We're going to see that walking in the Spirit means that as children of God, we have a new pattern of life, a new purpose in life, and a new power for life. I see some of you taking photos of that slide. Go ahead and do that. I encourage you. Take photos of it. Write it down. I, I, I imagine this, that as you write it down each week in some kind of notebook, you are accumulating a record of biblical truths that you can look back on and remember the things that we've studied together here as a church. So I encourage you, write it down somewhere and take it with you as you go. This is also our outline for our passage today. Walking in the Spirit means that as children of God, we have a new pattern of life, a new purpose in life, and a new power for life. So let's take that sentence and break it down as we go. Walking in the Spirit means that as children of God, we have a new pattern for life. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Notice that in these two first verses, the words that are used are legal in nature. Condemnation is a legal term. The law is, of course, a legal term. So imagine, if this is a legal term, imagine with me, go in your mind with me to a courtroom setting. A courtroom. You've all seen movies, you've seen TV shows that depict courtroom settings. But in this courtroom, you're the one who is on trial. You're not an outside observer. You're the one who is being charged with a crime. Imagine the prosecutor comes and he points his finger at you and he says, you broke the law. You have failed to live up to God's perfect standards. You've, did, you've done things that you shouldn't have done, and there are other things that you should have done, but you failed to do those things, and you are guilty. 
And so now it's your turn to give your defense. So what, what are you going to do to defend yourself? Well, you stand up and you say, well, first of all, I'd like to say in my defense that I'm a really nice person and I have a great heart and people like me. And I've done some really nice things. And you can hear as you say that, people begin to snicker. They begin to laugh as you're saying those words. But the judge is patient and he says, okay, you know, calm down all you people laughing. Look, friend, whether you're guilty or not, I mean, whether, whether you're nice or not, that doesn't change the fact of whether or not you're guilty. You broke the law. That's what we're here to talk about. We're not here to talk about if you're nice. And you say, okay, I know, but, but listen, there are a lot of other people out there who have done worse things than me. And the judge kind of smiles at you and says, yeah, and they're guilty too. What's your point? And you're like, well, actually, that's all I've got, right? I don't have anything else. That was my entire defense. And at that point, your defense attorney taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, maybe it's better if you let me handle this and do the talking. And so your defense attorney stands up, and he approaches the bench, and he says, hi, Dad. And you're like, oh, dang, wait, my, the, my, the judge is his dad? And, and your defense attorney, he says, look, obviously my client is guilty, right? But here's what I'd like to do. I would like to trade places with my client, meaning I would like to take his judgment. That way justice will be served. Justice will be satisfied. And I would like him to be able to take my place and be a free person. And the judge says, fine, slams down his gavel and he says, it's done. And the bailiff comes over, he removes the handcuffs from your hands and he puts them on your attorney's hands and carries him away. And look at what it says in verse three. It says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There are two key phrases here in Romans chapter 8 that you need to take note of. Write them down. Pay attention to them. Here are those phrases. The phrases are in Christ and in us. In Christ and in us. There is no more condemnation for us if we are in Christ because the righteous requirements of the law have been fulfilled in us by Christ. Notice it doesn't say that God's righteous requirements were fulfilled by us. No, it says that they've been fulfilled in us by Christ. See, each of us, we have fallen short of God's righteous requirements, but Jesus, he came, and in his life, in his death, he fulfilled all of the righteous requirements of God for us on our behalf. You know, this is actually a really important point, and here's why. Because a lot of people would say, what we need is Jesus' death is what saves us. His resurrection is important too, but his death is what really matters. But hang on a second. It's not only the death of Jesus that matters for our salvation, but it's also the life that Jesus lived. And here's why. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted, and yet he did not sin. In other words, Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to God. He's the only person who ever lived up to God's perfect standards. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus took his perfect record his perfect record, and he gives it to you as a gift. And all of the guilt and the penalty for the wrong things we have done, Jesus took those upon himself on the cross. And so he, the only begotten son of God, he took our place in judgment, and in exchange, he accounted all of his righteousness, his perfect record, to you as a gift in Christ. 
It says very clearly in verse 3, what we could not do because of our weakness, God has done for us in Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. It means that when God logs into his computer to check your account, to check the balance on your account, it now says paid in full. There is no more condemnation because the penalty for your sins has been paid in full. Not by you, but for you on your behalf by Jesus. But that's not all. Now come back with me in your minds to that courtroom where we were just at. After the judge has declared you free and the bailiff has removed your handcuffs because your advocate, Jesus, took your place, the handcuffs were removed. As you stand up and prepare to leave that courtroom, the judge tells you, hey, hang on a second, not so fast. We're not done here yet. And you say, oh no, I thought we were done. I thought I could go. What's happening now? The judge, he says, no, 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 we've got another thing to deal with. And he calls another courtroom session into order, except this time it's not a criminal hearing, it's an adoption hearing. And the judge himself is adopting you as his child. That's what Romans 8 tells us that God has done for us in Christ. The judge has not only set you free and declared you righteous, but he has gone one amazing, one giant step beyond that and adopted you as his own child. And as his child, we're told in verses 9 and verses 11, here in Romans chapter 8, that he has placed his Holy Spirit within you. He has placed his spirit within you if you are his child. So if you have put your faith in Jesus, that means that not only are you in him, but he is also in you. You are in him, but the Holy Spirit is now in you. So in summary, this is what God has done for us in Jesus. First, he has fulfilled all of the righteous requirements of the law for us in him. Secondly, he has hidden your life in Christ. Third, he has adopted you as his child. And fourth, he has placed the Holy Spirit within you. But the question is, what difference does this make for our lives? What difference does this make for your life? And that brings us back to our sentence for today, which is this. Walking in the Spirit means that as children of God, we have a new pattern for life. Look again at what it says in verse 4. It says, In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What this is saying is that as children of God, as people who now have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within us, we are now people who have a completely new pattern for life. That word walk, it's an important word in the Bible. We see it a lot in the Old Testament. Say, this and such and such a person walked with God. Here in the New Testament, we read about walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh. That word walk, think about what it implies. It implies movement. It implies movement in a particular direction. You know what else it implies? How does that movement take place? One step at a time. It takes place by taking steps, small steps, which over time lead you somewhere. They lead you to a destination. And as you walk, you're moving away from some things at the same time that you're moving towards something else. And so this new pattern of living is different from our old pattern of living. Now, we walk according to the Spirit, whereas before we used to walk according to the flesh. Well, what does that mean? Look at what it says in verse 5. For those who live according to their flesh set the mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 
What this is describing is two patterns for living, two different paths, two different sets of goals or motivators, the flesh and the spirit. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, he says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other. Paul explains a little more here in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God. Indeed, it cannot, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what we have here is two different patterns for life, the way of the flesh and the way of the spirit. The way of the flesh is all about trying to satisfy and gratify yourself apart from God's heart and God's will and God's desires. But the way of the spirit is all about living in God's ways according to his heart and will and desires. Now next week, we're going to look more at the fruit of the spirit, And what we're going to see as we look at the fruit of the Spirit is that the fruit of the Spirit is contrary to, or it's opposed to, the deeds of the flesh. And so we're going to talk in more detail about that, the fruit of the Spirit and the deeds of the flesh next week. You don't want to miss that. Make sure you're here for that next part of this. But maybe you hear me say this and you're like, well, hang on a second. I mean, living to gratify myself actually sounds pretty awesome, right? Like living to satisfy myself, sign me up. That's exactly what I want. I want to satisfy myself. Isn't that the point of life? But look at what Paul says about where these two paths lead, what the product of these two paths, these two different patterns of life are in verse 6. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So you can think about it like this. When we are walking in the flesh, it's as if you're having a conversation with yourself. And that conversation is all about you talking to yourself and asking yourself, self, what do you want to do? Self, what would make you feel good? What would gratify you? What would satisfy you? It doesn't matter how it affects others. How would you like to, to be gratified and satisfied today? But when we walk in the Spirit, we're having a different conversation. Rather than a conversation with ourselves about what we want and how we want to be gratified and satisfied, now walking in the Spirit is a conversation we have with God in which we're asking Him, God, what would you have me do in this situation? What is your desire for how I should respond and what I should do in this situation. So rather than just talking to ourselves about ourselves and what we feel like doing, instead we're having this ongoing dialogue, this ongoing discussion with God by the Holy Spirit within us. And it's a conversation with God in which we are now taking steps and walking through life as we have this conversation and as we respond to God. Lord, what should I do in this situation? Lead me, guide me, show me. And the way that God does this is by his spirit within us. This is a new pattern of life, a new pattern, a new way of living that we have now as children of God. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It says that this is the characteristic of the children of God. They are led by the Holy Spirit. This is what it says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So to walk in the Spirit is to live your life in this constant communication with God, this constant dialogue with God. Think about what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, pray without ceasing. 
Now, that's hard to do, right? Like, how are you supposed to do that? If you spend all your time praying, then when are you going to eat? When are you going to go to work? What about when your kids ask you questions? You tell them, no, 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 I'm praying. But if you never stop praying, then how are you ever going to take care of them? Right? To pray without ceasing, of course, it doesn't mean that you have to sit in a chair with your head down and your eyes closed and your hands folded in your lap and pray. No, no, no. The only way you can actually do this is if you have this ongoing dialogue, this ongoing conversation with God as you go about your day. Think about it like this. The conversation with your flesh, it goes something like this. Is it going to hurt? Right? Is this going to hurt? Is this going to feel good? Will this gratify me? Can I get away with this? These are the kind of questions that we ask as we have this dialogue with ourselves. But the conversation with God is different. It goes like this. Lord, what would you have me do in this situation? Lord, what would honor you? What would further your kingdom? What would further your mission? How can I be your hands and feet in the world today? What would you have me say or respond in this situation? But then it's not just asking those questions, but it's also acting in response and doing what the Holy Spirit leads you or tells you to do. So here's a question. How do you know that you're actually hearing from the Holy Spirit? This, this isn't just some sort of self-delusion, right, where you're just convincing yourself that you're doing the right thing. How do you know that you're hearing from the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, if the Holy Spirit is leading you, then what he'll lead you to do will be in accordance with God's word. Why? Because as we've talked about in previous weeks, the Holy Spirit is God. So the Holy Spirit won't lead you to do something which is contrary to what God has already spoken in his word. Jesus even told us that the work of the Holy Spirit when he comes will be to not only lead us into all truth, but to remind us of the things that Jesus already said. But as the Holy Spirit is within you, as you're engaging in this conversation with God, as you're responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit, the end result will be that you sometimes find yourself doing things that are maybe countercultural, that other people look at and they don't get it. They find it stupefying or, or hard to understand. Like, why would you welcome somebody like that into your home? Why would you forgive that person after what they've done to you? Why would you give away your money like that? Why would you reach out to those people? It doesn't make any sense to them. But the answer is because I'm walking according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And sometimes walking according to the Spirit means that I have to die to my, my flesh, my preferences, my, my fleshly desires. But in the end, this truly is the way of life and peace. And that's what Jesus even told us. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16? He said this, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. It reminds me of Philip the Evangelist in the book of Acts chapter 8. Philip the Evangelist, you know, at the time there in, in the early chapters of the book of Acts, you read about how for a couple of years, the church in Jerusalem, the church, the Christian church was centered in Jerusalem, and they didn't really branch out. Despite the fact that Jesus had commissioned them and told them to take the gospel, not just to the city of Jerusalem, but to all the world. 
And yet they stayed in Jerusalem because it was easier. It was comfortable there. But one of the first people to go out beyond the borders of Jerusalem and take the gospel to the nations was a man named Philip. We call him Philip the Evangelist. We read about it there in Acts chapter 8. Philip left Jerusalem and he went into the area of Samaria, which is just to the north of Jerusalem. And it says that as Philip went into to Samaria and he began talking to people about Jesus, his ministry was wildly successful. He was wildly successful. It says that huge crowds of people were gathering to hear him speak. He was like a celebrity. Miracles were taking place. People were being healed. It was amazing. It's what we would call a revival. And it says there that because of what was going on, there was much joy in Samaria because people were turning to Jesus in large numbers. But in the midst of this revival, in the midst of this success and these huge crowds and all of these great things happening there in Samaria, we read that the Lord spoke to Philip and told him, okay, Philip, I want you to go down to the desert, south of Jerusalem, and I want you to stand by the road that goes between Jerusalem and Gaza. It's an uninhabited place in the middle of nowhere. I just want you to go there and, and stand by the side of the road. And so Philip goes. He obeys. He goes. And now think about that. Philip is experiencing his 15 minutes of fame. This is what everybody wants, right? Huge crowds, lots of success, lots of, lots of people responding. The revival's breaking out. Things are going great. And God tells him, I want you to leave that. And I want you to go to the middle of nowhere where there's nobody and just stand by the side of the road. And Philip does it. And it says there in Acts chapter 8 that once Philip got down to this place, stood by the side of this road in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, then the Holy Spirit told him the next thing to do. And that's so many times how it is, isn't it? This is how the Holy Spirit leads us. He'll give you one step at a time. He won't necessarily give you five steps ahead of time. He'll tell you, here's the next thing I want you to do. And when you do that, then he'll tell you the next thing to do after that. So Philip is standing next to this road in the middle of the desert, and he sees this lone chariot traveling down this dusty dirt road. And the Holy Spirit speaks to him again and says, Philip, go approach that chariot and talk to the guy inside. And so Philip does. He, he catches up with his chariot. He's, you can imagine he's like running alongside the chariot. Hi, I'm Philip. Whoa, how, how are you? What are you doing? And the guy's like, well, I'm reading this book. Oh, cool. What book are you reading? I got this book in Jerusalem. It's the book of the prophet Isaiah. And I'm reading it, and I don't understand what's going on in this book. Like, I don't understand it. And Philip says, well, well, maybe can I get in the chariot and stop running, right? I'm getting tired. Maybe I can explain it to you. So he gets in the chariot with the guy, and it says there that starting from that very verse that the man was reading, Philip told this man the good news about Jesus. And this man believed, and he was baptized that day. But I want you to see that. This is what it looks like to be walking in the Spirit, right? To be led by the Holy Spirit. There's this ongoing conversation between Philip and God. And Philip is responding as God speaks. He's responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Even though from an outward perspective, it, it would seem like very puzzling. Why would you leave this hugely successful thing and go to the middle of nowhere? And yet he was led there by the Holy Spirit. To walk in the Spirit means we aren't primarily driven by profit or personal gain, or even personal preference. We're driven by something greater, by God leading us by his spirit within us. But the question is, to what end, right? What's the purpose of this leading? And that brings us to the next part of our sentence. Walking in the spirit means that as children of God, we have a new pattern of life, 
And we have a new purpose in life. We have a new purpose in life. In verse 12 of Romans chapter 8, it says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. To say that we are debtors means that we have an obligation. We're obliged. We no longer are obliged to live according to our flesh. No, now our obligation or our reason for doing things, the driving force behind our lives has changed. No longer do we seek to live for ourselves, but now we engage in a new conversation, a conversation with the Holy Spirit about how we can best use our lives to bring glory to God. You know what Jesus told his disciples? In John chapter 16, verse 14, he told his disciples that the Holy Spirit's work would be to glorify him. This is what the Holy Spirit does, glorifies Jesus. So what does that mean for us? If the Spirit is within us, if we are walking according to the Spirit, that means that we are now living with the purpose of bringing attention and praise and glory to Jesus. That becomes our new purpose in life. Do you remember the story I told you at the beginning about how I hated going to the principal's office, but there was this other girl in my class who loved going to the principal's office? And the difference was the principal was her dad. You see, I had only ever known the principal as a disciplinarian, but she knew him as her father. And that changed the conversation that they had. In the same way, many people, many of us, have only ever related to God as a judge. But the good news of the gospel is that in Christ, now we can relate to God in a whole new way. Now you can know him as your father. And that changes the conversation that you have with him, doesn't it? Because now there's this background, there's this baseline of love and trust, and that changes the conversation. Now the conversation is, what should I do, Lord? Show me, and I'll do it. Show me, Lord, what should I do? Lead me in my life in a way that honors you, in a way that helps to show your love and your truth to others. And if there's something that I'm doing that you don't want me to do, show me that too, and I'll stop doing it. So to walk in the Spirit means to surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to surrender to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to surrender to the transforming work that God wants to do in your life by the Holy Spirit. Because now you've got a whole new purpose in life. No longer are you living for yourself to gratify your flesh. No, no, no. Now you're living for the glory of God and for the mission of God in the world. But then that brings up one more question. How do we do that? How do we do that? And that brings us to the last part of our sentence. Walking in the Spirit means that as children of God, we have a new pattern of life, a new purpose in life, and a new power for life. Look at what it says in verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The power to live this new life you have in Jesus, the power to live in a way that brings glory to God, the power to live out the mission of God that he's placed upon your life, the callings he's placed on your life, the power to say no to the flesh and say yes to God, it comes from the Holy Spirit living within you. And look at what it says in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So God has placed the Holy Spirit inside of you, not only to lead you in his will, but also to empower you to do his will. For many of us, you know, I think the problem isn't usually that we don't know what we should do. 
right? I think the problem isn't that we don't know what we ought to do. I think many times we know exactly what we ought to do or what we should do. The problem is rather that we lack the desire and the strength to actually do it. We lack the desire and we lack the strength to actually do what we ourselves know that we ought to do. But here's what happens when you walk in the Spirit, when you say yes to God. When you do that, He gives you the strength that you need to do what He has called you to do. It reminds me of a story from the Gospels that always strikes me. It always sticks out to me whenever I read it. We read there in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, about a time when a man came to Jesus, and this man had a withered hand. So I don't know what that means. It was crumpled up. It was disabled in some way. He couldn't use his hand. It was withered. And Jesus looks at this man, and you know what he said to him? Stretch out your hand. Now, here's why this story always captivates me, because just think about it. Imagine if you were that man with a withered hand, and you come to Jesus looking for some help, and here's what he tells you. Stretch out your hand. Listen, I don't know about you, but if that was me, I'd be like, what do you mean stretch out my hand? Like, that's all you've got? Stretch out your hand? If I could stretch out my hand, I would have done that a long time ago, and I wouldn't have this problem, right? But obviously, I can't do that. That's why I'm here. I am unable to stretch out my hand. Don't you realize that? Why are you telling me to do something that I'm incapable of doing? Except this man didn't respond that way, did he? Instead of, instead of giving him explanations and excuses about why he couldn't do what Jesus was telling him to do, instead, in obedience, this man said, okay. And he tried to do that which Jesus was calling him to do, even though it was something that he was previously, in his own strength, unable or incapable of doing because of his own brokenness. But as he responded in faith, as he responded in obedience, as he attempted to do what Jesus told him to do, even though he didn't have the strength in himself to do it, in that moment, God gave him the strength and ability to do it as he responded in faith and obedience. And I wonder how many of us are in that same situation. Maybe you don't have a withered hand, but maybe you have an addiction. Maybe you have a grudge. You've been holding on to resentment and refusing to forgive or move on from someone who did something to you that was bad. Maybe you know that God is calling you to do something, but you don't know if you have what it takes to do it, and you've been hesitating, and you've been putting it off. If you will respond like the man with the withered hand did, not with excuses, not with explanations, but by saying yes and responding in obedience and faith, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, God will empower you to do what he has called you to do. You know, walking in the Spirit, it implies that it takes place one step at a time. That's how walking works, one step at a time. And that's what you need to focus on, taking that next step, having that conversation with God right now in this moment and in the next moment, responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit by taking that next step in that next moment that he's calling you to take. And as you keep taking those steps, as you keep walking with the Spirit step by step, one day you're going to look back and you're going to be amazed at how far you've come and how far he's brought you as you've taken those steps one by one after each other. I know that's been true in my life, and I am fully convinced that walking in the Spirit, being led by God in this way, this is the most exciting, fulfilling, adventurous, meaningful life that you could ever possibly live. And I want to encourage you, like Paul wrote to the Galatians, 
If we now live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Friends, walking in the Spirit, it means that as children of God, we have a new pattern for life, a new purpose in life, and a new power for life. Would you please stand with me and let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.